Good morning. What a pleasure it is to be with you all this morning here in Portland. I'm Sarah Augustine, and I'm coming from central Washington. Um, I just want to take a minute to introduce myself. I am a Pueblo woman, which is to say a Tewa woman from the region that's now known as northern New Mexico. I'm also a Mennonite, like many of you here. I'm a displaced person, which according to the United Nations definition is a person who has been removed from their place but are not able to leave their country. And I'm the executive director of the coalition to dismantle the doctrine of discovery. So I'm preaching from the lectionary this morning and I found that the scriptures uh, that were read to be quite interesting. What an interesting combination of ideas and scriptures for us to reflect upon today. I want to begin by just talking about what a covenant is. I started thinking about this, um, turned to the Cambridge Dictionary, which says a covenant is a formal agreement or a promise between one or two or more people. So this idea of a covenant is a, plays a large role in Christian theology. Would you agree with me? Is that, do you, have you heard that? <laughs> is that the way you learned growing up in your Christian education? It's how I, what I learned. And I was thinking about what this means. Um, what is this covenant between Abram and Yahweh? And how have we thought about that through a Christian lens? And for this, I looked at a theologian called O. Palmer Robertson, who's kind of a famous theologian for taking on this idea of a Christian covenant. And he says, Christians see Jesus as the mediator of a new covenant, and that his blood shed at his crucifixion is the required blood of the covenant. As with all covenants between God and man described in the Bible, the new covenant is considered a bond in blood, sovereignly administered by God. So this idea of a new covenant formed between the Christian church and God is the basis of a theology that's called supersessionism or replacement theology. It's a Christian theological opinion that describes the idea that the Christian church has superseded the nation of Israel, assuming their role as God's covenanted people, thus asserting that the new covenant through Jesus Christ has superseded or replaced the Mosaic covenant. Supersessionism also holds that the universal Christian church has replaced ancient Israel as God's true Israel, and that Christians, whether Jewish or Gentile, have replaced the biological bloodline of ancient Israelites as the people of God. So is this familiar to you? Many of us in our ancestry, those of us who are um, descended from settlers, in our faith tradition, and our family narrative, have talked about moving into the Promised Land in North America and being empowered by God to do that. 
And this idea of a covenant, this supersessionist theology is the basis for that. And this, this Christian idea, this Christian theological idea, comes from a legal and policy structure called the Doctrine of Discovery. Have you heard of that? Yeah, so the Doctrine of Discovery is, is not something that happened long ago. It's actually part of our legal system here in the United States. It was enshrined in our legal code 200 years ago in 1823 by our Supreme Court. And it says that Christians are empowered by God to come and settle and own all land and to remove indigenous peoples from that land. And this idea of supersessionism, this, co this commitment or this covenant is the explanation or what I would say the ideological alibi for doing that. So let's talk about, break that down. You know what about alibi is, it's kind of like your excuse or explanation. And to me, an ideological alibi is saying, here is an idea that explains why I'm about to do something. So however catastrophic that behavior is, it is justified by this ideological idea. And this is what this covenantal theology has created. It's a theology that's passed on from generation to generation. And it's a theology that has ended in a lot of pain for my people and for indigenous peoples across the world. It is the basis for American exceptionalism, this idea that the United States has a special role in the world order to use force and violence across the world to enforce our will and our way of seeing the world. We're empowered by God to do that, in part because of this supersessionist theology. It's the basis of white supremacy, this understanding that those that are the descendants of Europeans have a special God-given right to make all the decisions for people across the world, and especially here in North America, the homeland of my people. It is the basis of this idea of manifest destiny. Have you heard of that idea? That God empowered European settlers to come to the East Coast and, and claim dominion over the entire continent to the exclusion of my people. And the basis of this theology is this Exodus story and this covenantal story that has been claimed by the Christian church to replace Israel, that Israel is, is replaced in the supersessionist idea. So this kind of theology is not just damaging to the vulnerable and the marginalized, people like indigenous people like me and my people. It is also the basis of extractive economy. Because colonization itself is an understanding or a worldview that's based in extraction. That it's possible to come to a place and take anything that we want out of the soil, out of the, the ground, out of, you know, that we are able to take and monetize and commoditize the fruits of the earth with no impact 
that we are empowered to do that. And this whole theology is saying, the lucky few are empowered to do this by God. And the impact of that is environmental degradation, the likes of which we've never seen in this world. That include climate change, ecological overshoot, which is consuming from our environment more than the life support systems of Earth can possibly replace. You may know that the ocean as a system washes itself. Did you know that? There's a mechanism within the ocean itself to wash its own waters. But we are putting so much waste into the ocean that we are overwhelming its ability to do that. And that's leading to ocean acidification. For example, the soil system also has a way of cleansing itself, working together, together with the water cycle. And we are loading it with so much waste, that is to say environmental pollution, that it's no longer able to do that. It's no longer able to function as a system, which is why every life support system on Earth is in decline. And so this is a product of the same kind of supersessionist triumphalism, the entitlement of believing as Christians we are empowered by God to do whatever we want in the name of God. Climate change is a concrete product of extractive economies based in systems of death. A belief that some are entitled to take from the earth for personal gain, pursuing self-interest regardless of the cost to life support systems or to the earth. So how does the spirit of life, the creator, the great animator call us to respond? So I'm going to go off script for a minute here and talk about um, a scripture that's not for today, which is Romans chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, that tell us, tells us that God's divine nature and eternal power are expressed in creation itself, that the processes of creation express the nature of what God is. What do we see in nature? What do we see in the cycles of creation that show to us the nature and power of the creator. Interdependence, this understanding of mutual dependence, that actually all of us and all of life exist in a web of mutual dependence. What each one of us does impacts every other. It's completely counter to the idea of extraction or the logic of extraction, of dominion, of taking, of wasting. Creation itself demonstrates to us the possibility for life and life abundant through an understanding of reality as one of interdependence. We also see faithfulness without any strings attached. Every morning the sun rises. We do nothing to earn that. Rain is made to fall on the just and the unjust. The faithfulness, the deep and enduring faithfulness of God. God who is present to us always and in all ways. The God who is present in the very soil. Jesus' radical call to discipleship is expressed in our reading 
of Mark this morning. In verse 34, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. The cost of discipleship. So I'm wondering this morning if that cost is choosing to harmonize with the spirit of life whose plan is expressed in creation and turn away from the privilege and entitlement of supersessionism? Is it possible to turn away from all of the privilege and entitlement, all of the belief that we deserve it, and the story and the alibi that we have to show that it's coming to us, that God has ordained it, and instead choose a path of harmonizing with the spirit of life, which is to say, the systems of life that we see in creation. That is choosing justice and peace over personal gain. That is turning away from the extractive logic of Christian exceptionalism. This idea that Christians have the truth and the right to everything as a result of being um, the facilitators of that truth. An expression of this turning away is engaging concretely in decolonization. What the heck is that? That's a million dollar word. Decolonization. In the Coalition to Dismantle the Doctrine of Discovery, we define decolonization as the relinquishment of a subjugated people. What Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 4. Good news for the poor. Freedom for the oppressed. Turning away from all of the luxuries and privileges of white supremacy and choosing instead to engage in right relationship, the balancing of power. Choosing instead to be part of an exchange of mutual dependence an understanding that creation itself is based upon a web of mutual dependence and that we as human beings are a part of it. Decolonization, the relinquishment of a subjugated people in all ways, in the legal system, in the policy structure, in the ways that we worship, in our theology, releasing people who have been subjugated by a system of thought that is inherently hierarchical and meant to dominate. I want to talk to you for a minute about what indigenous voices have to teach us about living in balance with Earth's life support systems. You heard me talking during children's time a little bit about a great friend of mine, Wati Longchar, who is a liberative voice among indigenous theologians in Asia. And Wati said to me, Sarah, without the land, God ceases to work. God is a co-parent with the earth. God present in the systems of life. 
So Wati is from Nagaland, which is an indigenous land in India. And Wati told me that there are 23 festivals related to the soil. So imagine that. In a year, 23 times a festival to acknowledge the soil itself. And he told me a couple of the names of God. Lijaba, which means soil real. God is real in the soil. And Lizaba, which means soil enter. The name of God, soil enter. Specifically, the one who enters the soil with the seed. The one who enters that soil is God. Present with us in germination. Present with us as we grow the food that we need to survive. Present with us as we consume that food. Present in our bodies as we continue to live and grow as human beings. I would like to conclude today, going off script one more time, reading from Deuteronomy chapter 30. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. <laughs>